It's a great joy for me today to share what Ali is teaching us in Medjugorje. It's impossible for me to keep for myself all these things. And it's a great joy to share it and to see the food reaching hearts. Actually, this is the goal of Our Lady, to reach out to all of her children. So when you get that food and these messages, you on your turn, you will be the carriers of these messages to others. That's how it comes about. She wants to touch the whole world. Today I'm going to speak about adoration, this great treasure in the church. You know, adoration is one of the main activities when you go to Medjugorje. We have adoration each Thursday after Mass and then each Wednesday and Saturday night. And we have adoration in a private chapel each afternoon. Our Lady is inviting all the parishes, all the churches, if possible, to have perpetual adoration. But this is the goal, and we have to strive in prayer to obtain that from God. Then definitely the face of the world will be changed. Now I want to tell you a beautiful story that I cherish very much, because this little girl is my inspiration in many things. Let's go back now in time to China during the communist persecution around the 50s. There was a little town and a little Catholic parish. But one day, the communist soldiers came, took a hold of the church. They screamed against the faithful there and tore down the crucifix. And if the soldier had seen the priest, they would have arrested him and maybe killed him. So the parishioners hid their priest, their pastor, in a little kind of basement cell. Now in the church, one soldier stood before the tabernacle, very proud, and shoot it. Of course, the tabernacle exploded, and the holes were all scattered on the floor. Everybody there was shocked, and nobody would say a word. They were terrified. And uh, the soldier shooted at everyone to keep away from the host, of course, and saying, the church is closed. Whoever comes near the church will be shut down. Then the parishioner slowly and under fear left the church and the host were left scattered all alone. There was a little girl, about 10 years old, called Lee. And this little girl had just made her first Holy Communion. She was very shy, but she saw all these hosts on the ground and her little innocent heart started to bleed and she decided to do something. You know how kids are, they can go everywhere without being really noticed. So she hid herself and the soldier did not notice her. And after everybody had gone and everything was quiet, she came towards the host, she bent down and she picked up one of the hosts with her tongue. Now there was one witness for this, the priest, the pastor, and from his hiding space, he had a view of the altar and he could see everything that was happening. So he thought, oh my gosh, why doesn't she take all of them? But she took only one. Then she knelt down and she prayed a good moment and then she snucked out. But the next day, she came again. Nobody would dare come to the church. Everybody was terrified, but she had the courage to come. And then only the priest remembered the catechism that the sister had taught the little children when they prepare them for Holy Communion. You can have only one host a day and you cannot touch a host. You have only to take it with your tongue. 
So this little girl was just following the rules. One host a day, only with a tongue. And each day, our little Lee would come and pick up a host with her tongue. Each day she would pray near the host. And each day the priest would try to communicate with her, but it was not possible. The risk of being heard was too great. So he trembled for her, knowing that she could be killed at any moment. Now came the day that only one host was left on the ground. And on that day she came, she prayed, she recollected, she venerated the host that was on the ground, and she finally bent down and took the host. But then the soldier guarding the door saw her, and with an awful laugh, he shot down the little Lee. And she died saving the last host. Now there was a great bishop in the States who heard this story when he was a young man. And he was fascinated by the courage of this little girl who risked her life to save Jesus from being abandoned, persecuted and sacraged. And the love of this little child for Jesus in the Eucharist impressed that man so much that the day he heard the story, he made a promise to God that each day of his life, till his death, no matter what would happen, he would do a holy hour. And he organized his life, whatever he does, wherever he goes, he has a daily holy hour of adoration. And he was faithful to this commitment to Jesus. He just did it. Now he became a great priest, a great preacher, and then he became a great bishop and archbishop. And now he's going to be beatified by the church. Now who in America doesn't know him? Bishop Fulton Sheen. This bishop has filled the U.S. and other English-speaking countries with his incredible teachings. He was highly successful, like a miracle man. He had open doors in all the media. Everybody wanted to have him on the screen. Bishop Sheen not only kept his promise to God, but he never missed an opportunity to share the love of Jesus in the Eucharist. And he invited all believers to make also a daily holy hour before the Blessed Sacrament. For him, it was without doubt that this unknown little child in the depths of poor China was the spark which fueled his immense apostolate. He said, she inspired me and I would pray to her so that she would bless from heaven everything I do for the Lord. We don't know how many hearts have been touched by this great preacher. Innumerable conversions, consecrations, vocations have come about thanks to this faithful bishop and the heroic heart of this little Lee. So she's my favorite too in heaven. This little martyr and her wedding of blood with the Lamb, the Lamb of God. Well, we've got to see what's happening now in the West. The empty churches and tabernacles that are abandoned. But we should also not miss to see that there are many holy people in the church today. There are many and we have to join them. There was a great saint in Germany. Her name is Therese Newman. And this lady had very, very special gifts, especially to adore Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, to adore Jesus in the host. And also she had very rare charisms. She was also a stigmatist. She could know if a host was consecrated or not. She was known for that. One day she visited her spiritual director and immediately when she entered the room, Though there was nothing special there, she said, Oh, Father, Jesus is here. He said, No, he's not. We have no tabernacle, no holy presence. I don't have any pics to give to the sick. Jesus is not there, Teresa. Father, 
Jesus is here, she repeated. No, Teresa, Jesus is not here, I'm telling you. Father, Jesus is here, she insisted. So he said, where? Then she got up and pointed out some letters just lying there on the desk that Father had just received in the mail. And she said, well, Father, maybe you should open these letters. When he opened one of them, it was a man writing to him. He was sharing his doubts about the real presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And in the letter he said this, Father, I'm doubting. I just doubt that God himself could be in a little piece of bread. It is too much. How can God be in a piece of bread? This is ridiculous. So I asked God for a sign that he tells me himself that he's present in the Blessed Sacrament in the host. And you know what he had done? He had put a host in his letter. He had received Holy Communion at Mass and put that host in his letter to the priest. So seeing the host, Teresa fell on her knees and she said, this is his father. This host is consecrated. So father wrote back to the man and told him the whole story. The guy, of course, was shocked and he started believing. Now, don't do that yourself, okay? Don't do it. Well, being French, I know of another great saint. She's not canonized yet because <laughs> she was too charismatic. You know, charismatic people are very hard to canonize because there's too much work for Rome. It's true. So her name was Yvonne Aimée de Malestroit. Oh, she was so good. And since she was a child, she was very attracted by God. And when she turned about 17 or 18 years old, Jesus spoke to her in her heart and said one day, go get me. Then he explained to her that one lady had stolen a hose from Mass and he wanted Yvonne to go and take the hose back from her. So Jesus explained to her where she lived, which town, street, number. So she knew everything and she took the train. She went to that town all by herself and she found the street and everything. She rang the bell and then the lady opened the door. She was all by herself. Then Yvonne entered and simply said to the lady, I come for the host. And the lady just went pale. She was scared, terrified. She started trembling and trembling, she led Yvonne Aimé to the living room. And there, there was a little box. She opened the little box and there was a host there. Thank God the host was not harmed yet. So Yvonne Aimé had prepared a little box, the pigs, and she put the host in the little box and she was to give the host to her spiritual director. But while she was leaving, at the threshold of the apartment, she turned to the woman who was totally distressed, totally broken. And as she was looking at the eyes of this woman, she felt a great compassion for her and she started speaking with her. This lady explained she had so much pain in her marriage. Her husband had left and she was crushed by really great, great pain and sorrows. And you know, the only thing she found to do was to take revenge on Jesus in the Eucharist because she said he had allowed that to happen to her. So Yvonne Aimé, with much love, spoke to her about Jesus, but in such a way that the lady was blown away. She converted, she went to confession, and she changed her life. So our dear little Yvonne Aimé had other experiences, very, very special. She was the best saint I know to fetch hosts that had been stolen. Even now more than ever, every day, 
Both are being stolen from masses by Satanists, for wrong purposes, of course. And by the way, the Lord is asking us to make reparation for this by adoring the Blessed Sacrament. You know, when we adore the Blessed Sacrament, not only do we adore and worship Jesus, but we also make an act of reparation for all the misuse of the host by bad-intentioned people. Few people know that. So when Jesus saw that everything was okay with Ivonne and that she got the host back, he asked for more from her. And he would often give her this mission, getting hosts from people. But sometimes Jesus would say, go fetch me in China or in Africa. So either she would bilocate and get the host from there, or she would send her garden angel, and her garden angel would bring back the host, and she would do the same thing, put it in a little box and give it to her spiritual director. I remember that one day she was in a garden with her spiritual director, who was Father Labut, and he actually he wrote a big book about her, wonderful book, in French, okay. So the Lord that day had asked her to get a hose from China. So since she was with the priest, she said to her garden angel, go for me. When the garden angel brought the hose back, they both saw the hose in the air near a tree. Father Labut even took a picture of that. So we have a picture of the hose that was in the air. But the hose, unfortunately, was already pierced in the center and bleeding. Pierced and bleeding. So you see, Jesus is really there. Whether we believe it or not, he's there. As a matter of fact, you never find a Satanist who does not believe in the real presence of Jesus. Otherwise, they wouldn't steal the host, you know. What is the point to steal a piece of bread? And in the Eucharist, Jesus is very, but very sensitive. He's human as well as he's divine, which means he feels everything like a human person even more than a human person, because being without any sin, his sensitivity is even greater, even deeper than ours. Now, you know, adoration is a need of the human soul. We all have that deep need, that deep yearning. Adoration has always been in the history of humanity. When Jesus was not revealed yet, when the one true God was not revealed yet, everybody was still using their power of adoration, their potential of adoration. They would adore the sun, they would adore the moon, the planets, or a piece of wood or kind of idols. They would carve animals and adore them. They would also have many superstitions. They would think, if you touch this, you'll become sick. If you don't touch this, that. I mean, it's really very complicated things. Some people, and especially in Africa, live in terror because they focus their adoration on the wrong things. But thank God, the true God, the one God, revealed himself to Abraham, and then we started adoring the true God, the true source of good. Thank God that we have now this revelation. And now we have Jesus who was announced by the prophets and who at the Last Supper left with us the real presence of himself body, soul and divinity, in the host, the bread of life. And Mary, of course, was the first worshipper of the Blessed Eucharist. And you know, adoration has an incredible power. When you are adoring Jesus, we are adoring the whole Trinity together, because when you have Jesus, you have the Father, and you have the Spirit with Him. He who sees me sees the Father, said Jesus. So the Father and the Son are always together, they are one. 
And the Holy Spirit is actually there because he's the one who is the communion, the communion itself between the Father and the Son and the Son and the Father. So you cannot have Jesus without having the Father and the Holy Spirit. And when you adore Jesus, you adore the Father. He who receives me actually receives him who sent me, said Jesus. And he was, of course, talking about the Father. So when we adore Jesus really present in the Blessed Sacrament, there is an incredible fruit because the deepest power that you have, the deepest potential that you carry in your deep soul is a power of adoration, the most intimate one. When you have it active, the whole of yourself is being restored, is being also regenerated. You are recreated and reinvented, so to speak, refed. You are re-given life. I have not the right vocabulary, actually, but, you know, I'm French. But you see what I mean? We are absolutely recreated. Not only us. If we are recreated, the whole world is raised up on another level. You know the story of the cure of Ars, a pastor in France? This priest was very weak, weak in health, and he was definitely, I'm sorry, not smart. And because he was so not smart, he almost never became a priest because he was not able to learn Latin. And in those days, you know, Latin was absolutely necessary to become a priest. And he struggled so much and struggled and struggled, and no way he just couldn't learn Latin. He couldn't learn theology either, he was really not smart. But his bishop finally accepted him as a priest, but he gave him the last of the last of the least parish of the diocese. It was a small little parish, totally empty, it was dirty, the birds had done their little nest inside, quite abandoned, hardly two old ladies would come for Sunday Mass, it was a complete desert. Around that, the young people would do wrong, and the whole village had turned to paganism. And here comes the newly appointed cure of ours, to take a hold of this parish, there was nothing. And you know what he did? He didn't go to the bars, he didn't go to the streets and say, go to my church. He didn't bring any petitions, he didn't put any posters anywhere, he didn't give 500 telephone calls. Well, actually, he didn't have a telephone. <laughs> he didn't do anything like this. But he did spend hours kneeling before the Blessed Sacrament, begging God to resurrect his parish, to go touch the hearts. And you know these little old ladies, they are everywhere in all the parishes of the world. You always have an old lady somewhere who is keeping the place of the faith. And we sometimes despise them, saying, well, this is just an old lady. We say in French, in grenouille de bénitier, which means actually a frog in the holy water. So he had one of these old ladies around, and she said, how can this priest survive? He's all the time before the Blessed Sacrament. And she would hear him cry at night, cry to God, I beg you, Lord, please, Jesus, bless my parish, resurrect my parish, take care of the sinners. He would beg God adoring the Blessed Sacrament. Now what happened? Without him doing anything, some people started coming. And so this incredible little weak priest short, not handsome at all, nothing to be pleasing. He was just a poor man. He couldn't even speak French well. But, but the fire he had, oh my gosh, the fire he had. He was not able to do a proper homily. He was full of mistakes in his theology. But sometimes he would say, turning towards the Blessed Sacrament, pointing the tabernacle. 
I better stop talking. He's there. So let him talk to you. And he would just be like this before the Blessed Sacrament. And the people were fascinated because the fire would go to their own hearts and they would be changed. So at first, when he was ordained, the bishop didn't give him the permission to hear confessions. You know, they need a special faculties for that. But finally, he got the permission after a while. And then people started flocking to him because he could see souls. He was so holy. He could not learn Latin. But who cares? He would see the souls because he was so much with Jesus. He had that charism, like Padre Pio. He would say, for example, well, there is a sin that you have hidden from me. What is that sin that you are hiding from me? And of course, the sinner would tell the sin. Yes, the cure of ours was adoring the Blessed Sacrament. He was more and more each day getting one with Jesus, being one with Jesus. You know, when you adore the Blessed Sacrament, that's what happens. And now this cure of ours is a great saint in the church. And though being not smart, you know what? He became the holy patron saint of all the pastors of the world, of all the confessors. God bless him. You know, I like that. That's God, you know, that's God. He takes a poor instrument and he does divine things through this poor instrument. If the poor instrument is totally abandoned to him and believes that God is God and can work miracles. You see, he just loved Jesus so much and that came to him through holy hours, holy mass and adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. Because you know when you adore the Blessed Sacrament, well, I will take a very bad comparison, but you'll get my point. When you have a big factory and a big power plant, you have there an incredible concentration of electricity. But if this lot of electricity is not wired to the town, the town will remain in the dark. But suppose one of the little lady comes and plug her little wire to the big container of electricity. She will have power in her own home. And then she says, well, this is fabulous, I have power, I will put a bigger wire, and then the neighbors will have electricity too. That's fascinating. That thing has much electricity, let's get some more. And here she goes and increases the wire, and then the whole town has electricity. Just one little lady, you know, one little soul. You don't need to be a VIP, just a little soul that loves Jesus. So you plug your little wire and the whole town is connected and you made the connection with the source of grace. That's it. It's so simple. The big mistake today, and especially in the West, that we are interested to make connections with material things. But it doesn't work. It doesn't multiply. What is divine multiplies. Only little wire multiplicates to the whole town and finally to the whole world. That is Jesus in the tabernacle. And he's dying to put light into the whole world and in each of the souls that he has created. So how come so many souls in the world today are still in the darkness? Because there was no one to plug the little wire on the source of light. No one before the Blessed Sacrament. We need more connections and each of us can be the connection. I can be the connection. You can be the connection. Now I want to point out that adoration is not always before the Blessed Sacrament in the monstrance itself. Most of the time we adore Jesus hidden in the tabernacle. I remember little Francisco, one of the little shepherds who saw Our Lady in Fatima in Portugal. He couldn't stop marveling at the real presence of Jesus in the tabernacle. And he would often say to little Jacinta, 
I'm going to pray to hidden Jesus. Hidden Jesus was his best friend. You know, Jesus is the same either way, hidden or exposed. So what do we do when we are standing before the Blessed Sacrament during Holy Hours? You know what the Lord wants from us? And this is beautiful. This is so much like Jesus. What he actually looks for is a good intention of the heart. Intention to meet him and to be one with him. That's it. That's all what he needs. You know, the goal of our life is to be one with Jesus. The only real goal of our life is to be one with Jesus. He's expecting us there, waiting for us, thirsting for us. All he needs is our goodwill, our good intention to be one with him. And then he's operating what he has planned. So many people are sick today in their soul because they are not needed by anyone. They are not expected by anyone. But they have Jesus and they don't know it yet. Now don't expect to know the fruit of your adoration. You'll know only in heaven and you'll be surprised. Well, it may be given to some holy people, I don't know, but to the average, it's not. And it is good to accept that in humility. We don't know whose heart is being touched when we are doing a holy hour. We just don't know. In Australia, in China, in Russia, in America. Even in America, they might be touched, you know. We just don't know. But the Lord has his plan. And the only thing he requests from us is that we go to him with joy, with great expectation, great hope and great trust that even if we are weak, even we are a sinner, even if we are not being so good today, it doesn't matter. He's so happy to see us face to face so that he can act like God. He's eager to divinize us. You know Mother Teresa, the missionaries of charity. Now in each of their chapels, in the sacristy, Mother put a little message on the wall meant for the priest that they would read before celebrating Mass. And here is what she wrote. Dear brother priests, may you celebrate this Mass like your first Mass, like your last Mass, like your only Mass. That was it. Then they would go to the altar and they were already changed. It is my only Mass. So when you go to Jesus, you can tell him, Jesus, you know, this is my only holy hour with you before you take me. Let's make the most of it, Jesus. I can't speak to you because after five minutes I'm dry. That's it, Jesus. But, you know, when I've entrusted to you my life, my family, my work, my concerns, my this, my that, when I have told you that you're beautiful, that you are God, and that I'm happy to be here, I'm kind of stuck. I don't know what to tell you. So, Jesus, please take over. Speak to my heart. Speak to the depth of my heart. Because I've come here for an hour, you know, Jesus. So you have to make it up for it. And Jesus does work in our hearts. What he needs from us is the good intention of the heart to meet him, to be with him, and to be one with him, to be united with him, to let him work. Work in us and through us, through us for the world. This is very important. You know, many people get discouraged because they like to go to the Blessed Sacrament, but after five, ten minutes, they are doubting that it is useful and fruitful. And when they finish this holy hour, they are kind of sad because they think, well, nothing really happened. They had a great desire to be with Jesus, but they were often distracted. They were not, they were not really there. They couldn't concentrate well. And, you know, maybe they were sick or taken by so many concerns. 
Therefore, they are disappointed and they ask, is it really necessary that I go again tomorrow? So please don't be discouraged. You just have to have a good intention of the heart. Just work on that. And I'll tell you a little story, a little parable. Suppose tonight is the birthday of my mom. She's turning 80 and I want to celebrate this birthday well because I love her so much and I know of something which would be a great gift for her. She actually loves roses, but roses with a very special kind of red and she'll be delighted to get them. I'm very happy because I know a flower shop where I can get those roses. So my purpose is to prepare a splendid bouquet to give her. So in the afternoon, I go to the garage to take the car and get that bouquet from the other side of town. But the problem is that my car wouldn't start, stuck. I find some mechanical problems and it's too bad I'm stuck. So I decided to take the bus, but it's kind of far, so I'll be very much delayed. You know, I have a very good intention, very pure, very loving. So I go ahead with another way. I'm not discouraged. I catch the bus. It takes more time, twice as much. And I finally get there. Oh, too bad. The shop I thought of is closed for restoration. And this was the only place I had any chance to find this kind of roses in town. Too bad. I'm not discouraged, though. I continue my way and I say, well, I know of another shop. They are not that good, but still good enough. So I go there. Well, too bad. A hotel has bought all their roses. They don't have one single left. And they have other flowers, but no roses. I don't get discouraged. I continue my way because I want badly to please my mom. So I get another bus. It takes more time and things. And so finally, to make a long story short, I get to a shop that has roses. But to tell you the truth, those roses are not that good. Not red, but still they are roses. So I buy a big thing of yellow roses. In getting them, I'm kind of happy, but not that happy. Well, I still have something in my hand, at least to give my mom. So I get out of the shop, but too bad. A storm breaks out and a heavy rain falls on my flowers. The paper gets, you know, all wet and stuck and miserable by the time I reach the bus station. That's really bad. So I get on a bus to go back home and I'm kind of sad, but here I am on the bus with my big wet bucket and bad luck. A big, huge woman loses balance in a turn and sits on me. Yeah. The tops of the roses are broken. Oh my gosh, that's too bad. My poor bucket. Well, still I continue my way and I say, I will arrange the rest. Well, those roses are kind of miserable as a gift, but it's better than nothing. So finally, I get to the station stop. I'm still 200 meters from my home where my mother is, so I walk with the rest of my roses. Too bad, a big ambulance, very fast, comes into the road and splash! The mud from the heavy rain comes on the rest of my roses. Oh my gosh! So I end up coming home with maybe one rose in the middle of the bouquet that he spared, but badly spared, and still does not at all look nice. I'm very late and the party has started. And when the time comes and all the gifts are given by my brother and sister, beautiful gifts, I tell my mom, well, mom, here 
my muddy yellow rose half broken bouquet but you know mom that is it i love you very much however you know god knows how good my intentions were my heart was in the right place in the whole story Okay, this is a stupid little story, but just to make you remember that what counts for God is the intention of our heart. Remember that. And for God, when we give that little stupid muddy rose of the wrong color, he sees our entire gorgeous, wonderful, big red bouquet of roses. That's what he sees. What we had planned to offer, that is what he sees. Because he looks at the intention of the heart. Never forget that. When I start my holy hour, the essential point is to place my rudder in the right direction, according to the true, real, genuine intention of my heart. I may say, Lord, I desire you. Lord, I want you. Lord, I come here to be one with you. Lord, I can't do this by myself, so give me your grace. And just know, Lord, that this is my intention. This is what I want. I want what you want, Lord, to be one with me. In this way, you place the rudder, like in a boat, you know, in the right direction to get to the right harbor. Then when you are distracted, it's okay. We all are distracted. I remember St. Louis de Montfort said, I have never been able to say one Hail Mary without having a distraction. And he's a great Marian saint. So when you get distraction, like, oh, I forgot my lander in the machine, doesn't matter. Say, you know, you give your distraction to Jesus or to Mary. Say, for example, oh, Jesus, by the way, you know, I forgot the lander in my machine. Please take care of it. And then you come back to your adoration. And that's it. Simple. But then, you know, I start thinking of my son, maybe. Uh, the sandwich I gave him for school was not very good. So he might complain tonight. Oh, God, take care of my son. And sometimes you would spend maybe even 10 minutes away from prayer. And then you say, oh, 10 minutes have passed by and I was totally away from the Lord. Lord, take those 10 minutes for you. Whatever I thought of, even bad thoughts, take them for you. Now I put my rudder on you again and I come back to my direction, to you, Lord. You know, I would love one passage from Sister Faustina's diary. On that day, she went for a holy hour. It was Thursday night. Poor thing, she had not many opportunity for holy hours. She had hardly half an hour a day for prayer in the chapel. And she suffered a lot from this. But on that day, Thursday, she had an hour of adoration. So she was very happy. But because she was very sick, very weak, very tired, the whole hour of adoration, she was struggling with every kind of things but God. Okay, she was always trying to get back to God, but it was really like impossible for her. She tried and tried. She just couldn't make it. And after an hour, she was devastated. And then she kind of apologized to the Lord. Lord, you know, I ask you forgiveness for this terrible holy hour that I've done. I have not been with you, Lord. I'm so sorry. And she was really in pain, you know, because of that. And you know what the Lord Jesus told her? He said, my daughter, your prayer has been for me delightful. And she said, why, Lord? And the Lord explained to her that because she wanted so much to pray and she struggled so much to come back to prayer each time, that's what matters to him. You see, God is good, isn't he? He's very good. That's what he sees, you know. And it is such a comfort for us to know that he sees the deep desire of the heart. So, you know, distraction is not a sin. 
unless we indulge on it and we want it. So that's that's a sin. But even when you have to fight against distraction, as I told you, you just give them to Jesus and Mary. Sure, we have to be serious and to try. But our fall in adoration is not distraction. You know what it is? It's that we don't desire God enough. That's the sin. That's the fault. That's what we have to work on. Lack of desire. Okay, you remember the cure of ours. Another example. He had a great desire to be one with God. And then through this desire he had, the Lord could work in him and make him a saint. And then through him to have an entire parish resurrected. We saw that already. And the whole of France would come and listen to him. And you know, one day, Satan was after him, trying to put him down because he was bothering him too much. He was extracting souls, stealing souls from his lot, souls that he had taken apart from God to be with him, Satan. So he was not happy with the cure for ours. So one day, he was so mad at the cure for ours that he said to him, If I found three people like you in France, I would not be able to step in that country anymore. Wow, you see, one cent. See the power of one single cent. But the other two were lacking. So Satan is still coming to France, I can tell you. But Satan was not able to take as much as he had wanted of the country because one cent was filled with Jesus, was one with Jesus. It's incredible the power of one cent. So let's go now to some very practical points. How can we be well disposed inside to do a good adoration? First of all, we try to find silence. There should always be silence, not only in the chapel for adoration, but generally in the church. Ardi said so. The church is the palace of God. We should not talk to one another because the purpose of being in the church is to meet God, to have a personal encounter with God. And if you come to the church for another purpose, do you know what Ardi says? She said that to Mariana. You are an unbeliever. If you come because it's a tradition in your family or because you want to meet your friends, then you act as an unbeliever, Ali says. The church is a palace where God is like a king, she says, and he's reigning like a king. And when we come in the church, it is to meet him and only him, to have a personal encounter with him. When we want to meet our friends, fine, we have other places for that. You know, this is very important, and especially in the West, because more and more we speak in the churches. But we need this silence to meet God. And especially when the Blessed Sacrament is exposed, complete silence is required. When we adore Jesus in this silence, we get deeper and deeper into the residence of God in our own hearts. We get rid of those distractions and those concerns that we have. I remember one thing that Olidi said, by the way. When you are before the Blessed Sacrament, she said, if you remember that you have committed a sin, ask for forgiveness from God. Likewise, if you remember that you have hurt somebody, make a point to decide to be reconciled with them. And if you have some anger against somebody, cool down first, because with this anger you cannot pray. So cool down and make peace in your heart with that person, whatever happened to you. Leave aside all your concerns and all your problems. Ardi said, give them to me. And then your heart will be free for prayer. You know, sometimes people come, they have a concern, for example, their son is on drugs. So for one hour, they will think of their son who is on drugs and think, oh, that's too bad, he's on drugs. 
that's really ruining the family. How shall I do? And, you know, thinking of the son is not adoration, even if you are before the Blessed Sacrament. If you have a son that is on drug, you may tell Mary, while I am adoring your son Jesus, please take care of my son yourself. You know, give your concerns into the hands of God and the hands of Jesus and the hands of Mary. But please don't focus on your problems. That's not prayer. Give them and then think of God. Contemplate God. Otherwise, if you contemplate your problems, your people in pain, what will happen? You'll get out of the chapel and you'll find yourself even more devastated. You won't be regenerated. You know, when we pray, the beautiful thing is that we look at God. We gaze at God. We contemplate God. And as the father of the church say, I love this phrase, we become what we contemplate. And this is why adoration transforms all of us, because we become what we contemplate. You know, if you contemplate the screen of your TV set, you'll become ugly and stupid as the programs are. If you contemplate your problems during adoration, you become more agitated and you'll be sad and won't be fed. But if you contemplate Jesus in the host, all his light is there. Then you'll be fed, you'll be transformed, you'll be regenerated, and you'll become beautiful. Everybody knows that message from Our Lady. She said, when you have prayed, dear children, you are so much more beautiful. Well, I guess this is the secret of her own beauty, you know. She adored Jesus all the time, all her life. So when you are in this silence, then only you enable yourself to kind of hear the murmur of the voice of Jesus deep down in your heart. You know, Jesus said to Sister Faustina, well, I can't say the word exactly, but you'll find that in the diary. There is no way for a talkative soul to hear the murmur of my voice. I guess the noise of our own things is covering up his voice. And Jesus said that this soul will never hear his voice. And we know that prayer is a dialogue with God, a conversation with God. So we've got to hear something. Not with the ears of the body, but special ears of the deep soul. And Audi says too, the Lord is speaking to each soul. Really, he does. But how many souls do hear his voice? Too much noise, you know, too much noise. We are filled with ourselves. So when we adore the Blessed Sacrament, we try to get into this silence. It's like going on a journey towards the tabernacle that we have inside. Our heart is a tabernacle of the living God. Then we start hearing God's murmur. It's not that we hear a voice like on the phone, but the Lord has his own way to speak to the soul that is much more powerful, much more real. Because when he speaks to us, we know what to do. Even if we don't get the words, we just know what to do. We know what he has said. And through this mysterious communication from him, he actually inclines our heart and our mind towards what he wants us to understand. For example, I'm convinced that I should be married to Oliver. So I go to the Blessed Sacrament and I get into that silence of adoration. I get deep, deep down in my heart to meet God there. With no words spoken clearly, I receive the communication of Jesus in my soul and when I get out of my holy hour, without even knowing how it happened, I am deeply convinced that I should rather marry Max. You know, I haven't heard any voice, 
but inside of me the Lord has kind of inclined my soul towards what he prefers, what is his plan for me. So this is of course one more silly example but you know these little examples help us remember better. Now a very important point, who do we have before us when we adore Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament? We have Jesus himself, but all of himself. And you know what is good to do? To think that Jesus himself is there alive, alive, real. Which means his whole life is there. He's not stuck in a position like paralyzed, still and bored. No, we can contemplate Jesus, for example, as a baby in the womb of Mary, he's there. We have Jesus being born in Bethlehem. We have Jesus being fed by the breast of Mary, his mother. We have Jesus being rocked in the arm of Joseph and maybe pulling on his beard as children do, you know. We have Jesus being adored by the shepherds, by the kings. We have Jesus on the little donkey going to Egypt. We have Jesus under the strong son of Egypt, maybe starving a little bit because they, they were very poor. We have Jesus growing up and taking his first little steps. We have Jesus climbing a tree and pick up figs and giving them to his mother, laughing. We have Jesus learning how to pronounce his first words, his first prayers to his Father in heaven. We have Jesus going to that synagogue. We have Jesus helping Joseph to cut the wood, to carry the wood. By the way, Joseph taught Jesus how to carry the beams, you know, don't forget that. Jesus was actually trained by Joseph to carry the cross. How many beams has he carried as a carpenter? So, back to our contemplation. We have Jesus as an adolescent in Nazareth, praying with his uh, Jewish people, maybe in the synagogue or outside, eating with Mary the food that she prepared for him. We have Jesus sleeping in their little home of Nazareth. We have Jesus playing with his friends. We have Jesus going to the Jordan to be baptized. We have his whole life multiplying the loaves and healing the sick and freeing the possessed. We have Jesus praying all alone on the mountain at night and his father pointing out the 12 apostles to him. We have Jesus at the Last Supper. We have him at the agony in the garden, being scored at the pillar, being crowned, being with Pilate and in his passion, all his passion. We have Jesus there, all of him, the entire Jesus is there alive. We have Jesus resurrected, full of light and joy and glory. And we have Jesus going back to his father, his father welcoming him. We have Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father as our advocate. The same, the very same Jesus is entirely there in the host. How can we get bored? How can we dare get bored? So according to your mood at my point, according to your inclination, you can contemplate Jesus as a baby. You can talk to him as a child of four. It's sometimes good, you know, because when we feel guilty, for example, because we have been sinning. A little child does not see or suspect any evil. So it's a healing to be with a child in those moments. Think about it. And when you receive communion, just think you receive a baby sometimes. It helps. Now, you can also contemplate Jesus in a special way during his passion. Just spoke a lot to the saints about contemplating him in the passion. Our Lady said also, remember that message today in a special way Dear children, I invite you to take the cross in your hands and to meditate on the wounds of Jesus. Ask of Jesus to heal your wounds 
which you, dear children, during your life sustained because of your sins or the sins of your parents. It was in March 25th, 97. Just do that. Take the cross in your hand and contemplate Jesus, his body, his wounds. And when you look at the host, you have Jesus on the cross, the very same Jesus. And what does he tell you? He tells you, I thirst. And you can say to him, Jesus, here I am to quench your thirst. I'm not a good man, Lord. I'm not a good woman. I'm not a holy person. But still, here I am, Lord. Take me as I am. Because, Lord, you came for the sick and for the sinners, so I'm on your list. You came for me, definitely, Lord. You know, that's what I'm telling him every day. I'm on your list, Lord, definitely. Because, you know, when I listen to the list of the eight Beatitudes, well, on the last day, I'm afraid I might not be on that list. Blessed the poor, blessed the merciful, blessed the peacemakers, and so on. I might not be there, you know. But when he says, I've come for the sinners, for the sick, I think, oh, thank God, I am on that list. He came for me. I said, Jesus, you came for me, so I come for you too. And you know, when you adore the Blessed Sacrament, just come for him. Just come to please him. Like the lady with the roses, she just wanted to please her mother. Come for him. Come to console him. Come to tell him about your life. Come to tell him about the needs of your people, of your parish, of your country. Come for him. And then he will do everything for you. Do you know what he said to Catherine of Siena one day? Be occupied with my things and I will be occupied with yours. And Ali says exactly the same thing in Medjugorje. Give me your worries, give me your concerns, and then your heart will be free for prayer, and then pray for my intentions. And there she offers us a kind of swap, you know. Give me your stuff and take my stuff. <laughs> But the stuff of Jesus is divine, so we are the great winners. We give him garbage, he gives us divine things, my gosh. We are winners. Great time before the Blessed Sacrament. Wow, great times. Now, after we have had a kind of silence and we have given to Jesus and to Mary our burdens, then we invoke the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, no way, we cannot pray. So call on the Holy Spirit. You might have beautiful hymns, but if you don't know how to sing, it doesn't matter. Call on Him anyway, with all your heart. Say, I cling to you, Holy Spirit. Without you, I can do nothing. Please, I beg you, come to me. And do you think he would say, no, I'm not interested in coming to you. Leave me alone. <laughs> of course not. He's dying to come to you and he needs one single ring. And there he answers. He rushes to you. Call on him. And once he has arrived, don't bother him calling him again. You know, when you invite your friend and say to your friend, sit down here. You don't go again and again to the door and and tell him, come in, come in, come in, come in eternally. No, he's there. So be with him and share with him. I remember once Nancy, you know, she's a great friend in Medjugorje. And on Pentecost Sunday, she made a point to call on the Holy Spirit with all her heart. And throughout the whole day, she was saying, please, come, please, come, Holy Spirit. Have me be filled with you. Inspire me, guide me. At the end of the day, nothing has happened. It was like a plain day, like nothing special. And the Holy Spirit, it seemed that he had not come. And she kind of complained to him. 
that after the whole day with them, she had seen nothing. She thought, did I miss the boat? Did I do wrong something? And she was disappointed. She expected something she could grab, you know. But the next day, she met a woman and the woman told her, you know, Nancy, I had dinner with you last night and you said something in a conversation. And one word from what you said, just it's changing my life. It's changing my life, Nancy. And what did she say? Well, I don't remember the exact word. It was something so plain, so common. But that lady got a shot of the Holy Spirit. And then Nancy said, Oh, thank God, I didn't pray for nothing. I should have believed a little more that my prayer was heard. You know, the Holy Spirit is like Mary. Those two are always together. So discreet sometimes. He works and he doesn't tell you what he's working at, but he does work. You cannot invoke the Holy Spirit with a pure heart without getting him. The Holy Spirit is always doing new things. He never repeats himself. You know, like the sun, every day it looks like the same sun. But you won't say, I don't go enjoy the sun today because it's the same sun as yesterday. Well, the sun might be the same, but there is a constant renewal of his rays. The warmth that you get today is a new warmth. The light is a new light. That warmth doesn't come from an old ray that you had yesterday that is recycled, so to speak. It's a new ray giving a new warmth, a new light. And with the Blessed Sacrament, it's the same reality. You might see the same host, the same little round piece of white bread, but it is completely different from yesterday. New rays, new warmth, new graces, new inspiration, new relationship, new, new, new. If the world knew that it is always a new item that you get from God, they would flock there before the Blessed Sacrament. My gosh, yes, they would. You know, in the street or in the magazine or on TV, we always see advertisements for new things. It is so boring. Boring! These dear people think that they are smart, but they don't do anything new. Only God is always new. We should advertise more for him, you know. We should all be a living advertisement for Jesus. So we stand before God, not only for ourselves, but for him who wants to save the entire world. And we are being a tool for him. We are a channel for him. We are an instrument in his hands. And through us, he will touch the whole world, mystically. You know, St. Louis de Montfort said this, If Our Lady would meet you in the street after you have received Jesus in the Eucharist, she would immediately kneel down before you and adore the real presence of Jesus that is in you. She would be so aware that you are carrying her son Jesus. I remember a priest, you know, I was in, um, in Nazareth in my community, and he says, Your job is to become a living monstrance of Jesus. A living monstrance for Jesus. And it's true because when you have adored the Blessed Sacrament and that Jesus has transformed you, you radiate and those rays reach everywhere. They get to the unbelievers, for example, to the sick, to the dying, to the little children in the womb. Who knows? Maybe you will stop a divorce. Maybe you will prevent a young person to commit suicide. Maybe you will heal a sick. Maybe you will comfort the dying. Maybe you would prevent a car accident. Who knows? Here is an example and a very practical down-to-earth calculation. According to the statistics, when a chapel of perpetual adoration is open somewhere, very soon you see a dramatic decrease of the rates of suicide, divorce, and all kinds of bad stuff. Did you know that? 
Jesus is working hard. He's working so hard. Even on Shabbat, and especially on Shabbat, he does much good. So the key for peace of our country is not in the politicians. Forget them. Forget them. Pray for them, but forget them. Well, God bless them anyway. They might be sometimes good, but anyway, they are not the key. The key for the real peace of our country is Jesus and Jesus adored in the Blessed Sacrament. And the number of souls who get close to him and receive his peace is the measure for the peace that comes to a country. The more worshippers, the more peace you'll have. This is simple. Our Lady said, leave peace in your hearts and in this way peace will flow from your hearts like a river into the whole world. The Mother of God said that. And she's repeating somehow the word of a very great saint of Russia, Saint Seraphim of Sarov. He said, find peace in your heart and then thousands around you will be converted. Then when we adore, it's Jesus who operates within us and through us. It's not us. This is why it's so powerful. For each holy hour that we have, there is a special work of God that is prepared, that is in store. And the Lord has a plan and he will occupy this holy hour doing this work. So if we miss it, we miss that work of that day and we miss much. Each time there is a new work prepared by him. Jesus is like an artist, like a, a sculptor, for example. He knows that if the piece of wood is under his knife for an hour, he will do this kind of nose and the next day he'll do the eyes and then the next day he'll do the hair and then the next day he'll do the feet and then the statue will finally appear. Beautiful, wonderful statue. For each hour he has planned a new job to do. And this work of Jesus for us is our sanctification. We become what we contemplate. So if you are under the knife of this artist, this is God, well, maybe it's a brush. <laughs> Let's say a brush, because if I say knife, you'll be scared. But sometimes it, it is a knife. Sometimes Jesus has to act like a surgeon. And thank God, you know, because we need to be freed from our cancers, from our spiritual tumors. We need that surgery sometimes. So Jesus, I'm sorry, he needs a knife sometimes, but for good. Sometimes he does it under anesthesia. Sometimes we kind of feel it, but it's good. And while we are adoring, Jesus restores our identity. He readjusts our mind, our heart on the right track. He readjusts the whole thing about us. He makes us whole. Many people who are depressed, who are broken, who know all kinds of hardships and lack of love and aggression, they are restored. Their identity is restored then, just by being before their creator. Because, you know, God creates constantly and he recreates what has been damaged. So one hour with him, wow, you get settled again. You get recreated, you get readjusted. It's incredible. Well, sometimes we have really bad thoughts when we approach the Blessed Sacrament. Just before that, we were okay. But suddenly, as we are looking at Jesus, we get pornographic image in our mind. I don't want to shock you, but this is normal. Most of the saints had that. It's not a catastrophe. And many people do share with me, Sister, I don't go to Holy Communion anymore because, you know, the minute I get in the line to receive Jesus, 
the same minute I get an incredible movie of terrible impure things and thoughts and feelings in my mind. So I have to go back to my seat. I cannot get Jesus in this state. Then I say, no, go get him all the more. The point is, do you want these bad thoughts? No, of course. Do you indulge in them? Of course not. Then don't pay attention to what Satan is showing you at that moment. Don't listen to him. He just wants to prevent you precisely from approaching Jesus, from having Jesus. That's what he wants. So don't let him stop you. Always remember, if ever you get this movie, that bad, dirty movie before your eyes, just don't pay attention. Just ignore it. And you may tell Jesus, Do you know Jesus? The other one is bothering me. He's showing me a terrible video of this and that. I don't want it. And make sure you tell Jesus that it is Satan's video and not yours. And in this way, you show your will to disconnect from Satan. And in this way, you show your will to disconnect from it. And you choose Jesus. Just tell it. And again and again, I repeat, what does Jesus see there? Your good intention. You don't want that video. Okay, this might be a test. And the best part of this, you know, thanks to that test, you grow in holiness. Jesus is turning the whole thing positive. How does Jesus make a scent? When everything is smooth like a sea, with no waves? No, that won't lead anywhere. Jesus carves a saint with temptations, with tests. And when he allows the evil one to tempt us, then the evil one becomes a tool in God's hands to get us more holy. <laughs> so when you have that turmoil inside you, tell Jesus. You see, Jesus, this turmoil is from the other one. Ask Jesus to tell him to leave. Never, oh, okay, that's very important. Never speak to Satan directly. Unless, of course, you are an exorcist appointed by the church. Then you are protected by obedience. But go to Jesus instead. Don't do like Eve. You know, Eve, God bless her, had a conversation with the serpent. And she got stuck. And we got stuck after her, by the way. <laughs> That's bad. So she made that mistake. If she would have said to God, Lord, this guy is telling me something different from what you told me. So take this guy away from me, please, God. I don't want it. I want you, God things would have been different. So tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm being tested. I'm infested with those terrible thoughts. It could be hatred. It could be jealousy, etc. I had my service experience. One day, you know, I was sitting in the church in Medjugorje. I was calm. Everything was okay. And suddenly, hatred kind of swollen in my heart. I remembered something very precisely, something that happened to me 10 years ago with somebody. And I grew so angry against that person. In one minute, out of the blue, it came to me like this. And during Mass, it would increase and increase. And I remember clearly all the little details of 10 years ago. I got madder and madder. At the end, I was red with anger and hatred. And I was already making plans to go to that person and to tell him what I thought he deserved to hear. But then, suddenly, thanks to God, a thought came to me. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I know where this comes from. The other one, he's trying to distract me from math. This hatred is not mine. It is his poison trying to get into me. And then you know what I said? I said, Jesus, take care of this guy. Get me rid of it. Take care of him. Jesus, I don't want that hatred. I'm not going to speak to that guy that bothered me 10 years ago. 
I have forgiven him. I am not going to take back my forgiveness. And all these thoughts are not my thoughts. They are from him. So please get me rid of him. And the same minute, the thing was psh, collapsed, finished, disappeared. And you know, I could have gone out of the church and called the guy by phone and sued him and got into a big thing, you know. Actually, it was just an injection of Satan's hatred as a test. And at first, I had not realized it. It took me 10 minutes. Shame on me. The time to get all red, furious and agitated. So you see, when you get before the Blessed Sacrament, you might get this type of experience. But don't worry, it's normal. It's good even. You will grow in holiness each time more. If each time you go to Jesus and seek his help, Jesus, help me, help me, I want to be with you. I came for you, Jesus. And then step by step, you will all become great saints. This is how Jesus treats us and it's good. Jesus there in the Blessed Sacrament is the poorest of the poor. What is there? Just a piece of bread. And you can do anything with them. You know what the Satanists do? They do anything with them. I won't tell you the confidence I received in Medjugorje from Satanists who were converted. I'm not going to tell you because your hair will stick straight up. It is terrible how Jesus is treated today. And in each hour of the day, there are new Satanists who are torturing Jesus in the host. Let me tell you. So we have to become aware that Jesus is poor, helpless somehow. He does not resist. And he chooses to be like this. How can a host resist? It's just a piece of bread, but very sensitive. He feels everything. So we have also to approach Jesus as a poor. As the Blessed Mother said in Medjugorje, adore my son Jesus and be the shepherd for Jesus. Take care of Jesus, protect Jesus. And when you pray, you protect Jesus. When you cannot go before the Blessed Sacrament, you can do a holy hour by desire. Let's say spiritual adoration. It's enough to say, Lord, I adore you in all the tabernacles of the world where you are abandoned. I might be in my bed suffering from sickness. I might be in my office. I might be in my bathroom having my shower. And you can always say, Jesus, I adore you in the blessed sacrament of my parish, of that parish which has never seen anybody before the blessed sacrament. Or Jesus, I adore you where you are the most mistreated. I adore you in the heart of someone who received Holy Communion in a state of mortal sin. And I know that you are tortured in that heart. By the way, I have to add something here. We cannot receive Jesus in the Holy Communion unless we are in a state of grace. Remember that. When we receive the host in a state of mortal sin, Jesus said himself to Sister Faustina, I come to that soul to suffer another passion. So we can adore Jesus in the heart of those who make unworthy Holy Communions because Jesus is living again his passion there in their heart. You know, we can adore Jesus all day long. And when you have received Jesus in the Eucharist, tell him to stay. I remember a little girl, she was hardly seven and she was receiving her first Holy Communion. And she was very well prepared by her parents, her priest. She was very happy. So after Holy Communion, her mom noticed that she had a kind of mischievous smile on her face. So when they got out of the church, the mother said, Darling, how was it with Jesus? 
And she said, Mom, guess what I did with Jesus? <laughs> and the mother thought, oh my gosh, what did she do with Jesus? She said, Mom, you know what? You know what, Mom? Tell me, darling. You know when Jesus came into my heart? You know what I did? I took the key of my heart and I locked Jesus in so he will never be able to go away from me. And I'm so happy, Mom. Oh my gosh, this little girl had understood everything. What a joy she gave to Jesus. She had understood everything. She doesn't know theology, but she got the point of Jesus. And tell you the truth, what more can we know about Jesus in the Eucharist that she knew? I have Jesus. I have him. He's there for me. I come for unity with him. I am one with him. There is nothing else to understand. This is it. The whole mystery of the Eucharist is there. Jesus comes to me to unite himself with me. Jesus said to Sister Faustina, My greatest joy is to come in a human soul through the Holy Communion, especially to consecrated souls, and to unite myself with that soul and to communicate all my graces to that soul. Jesus speaking. And, you know, he said, This is my greatest joy. We cannot give greater joy to Jesus than that. Well, now I would like to end with a prayer, a beautiful prayer from the apparitions of Fatima. You know, the three little shepherds, we have Lucia, Jacinta and Francesco. They saw an angel before they would see Our Lady in Fatima. It was in 1916. And this angel was the angel of the Eucharist. He had a chalice in his hand and a host, and he gave Holy Communion to the little shepherds. And then also he taught them a prayer. So maybe now we could all close our eyes and listen with great adoration this beautiful prayer, a prayer that comes indeed from heaven. O Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly and I offer you the most precious body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges and indifference by which he is offended. By the infinite merits of his sacred heart and of the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg you for the conversion of poor sinners. Thank you.